Hello and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 22, and we are reunited. Matt Santangelo, how are you doing, man? Doing pretty well. It's great to be back after uh, a little bachelor party weekend with some a uh, couple friends. So I know Martino did a great job um, with you, and of course we had a special guest, our first one since the restart, Roberto Rojas. So um, yeah, definitely go check that episode out if you haven't already. But it's great to be back in the chair and um, talking about football. Yeah, and one of two weeks in the whole year that New York and London are only four hours apart, so we're not too distant at this point, which is quite strange. But next week, apparently, it's five hours, so whoever made all this time zone stuff up is is kind of playing with our heads. But, Matt, we've still got a giveaway going on, and I think you should probably plug that, because by my reckoning, this will be the last chance that listeners will have to, to kind of get entered. Yeah, so um, if you guys haven't been uh, keeping tabs on our social media account or our Twitter account, shall I say, uh, we're doing a giveaway with uh, the North Curve. They have some fantastic merch, so just go check them out, even if you're not interested in doing, uh, entering the giveaway. But we're giving out pretty much a merch bundle, which includes some long sleeves, some short sleeves, and pretty much all we're asking from you as the listener is to follow us on Twitter, retweet the post, uh, subscribe leave a review and screenshot that review and comment in the, um, in the actual thread. And that's the, uh, that's all set. You're you're ready to enter and you're ready to be uh, hopefully a winner. So uh, make sure you guys do that. Like Patrick said, we have a couple days left uh, towards the end of the month. I think we're going to announce the winner November 1st. So uh, you don't want to miss out on that. There's some great stuff included in that bundle. And where can people find us on Twitter, Matt? So you guys can follow us on Twitter at state at state of play pod. Um, we may be, you know, I'm not going to you know, go too much into it, but we may be dabbling into IG, um, which we'll let you guys know as soon as we do. But uh, yeah, everything that's going on with the podcast, uh, guests, questions that we need from you guys, uh, new episodes, of course, you guys can follow us on Twitter again at State of Play Pod. Yeah, we might be on uh, Instagram soon, as Matt mentioned. So uh, yeah, definitely, definitely keep an eye out for that one. So uh, yeah, like, let's let's get into it, Matt, because I think a lot happened. This episode, we're going to concentrate mostly on the Premier League, League R and Serie A, as well as, you know, touching on some American connections within that. But just, ah, oh, man, I'm sorry, if you're sick of hearing about the Premier League, and you don't really watch it or you know care about it that much so much happened this week matt that we couldn't not highlight a few things and first and foremost leicester beating southampton at saint mary's so away from home nine nil did you get to watch even the highlights of this one i actually didn't get a chance to watch any of the highlights um i was away on i think saturday and i even missed some some action that was going around around europe but i saw the lopsided score and i was like what happened like like, and it's funny too, because on yesterday, uh, that time recording, obviously we're doing this on a Monday. So Sunday I'm talking about, um, there was a big lops- lopsided score in Serie A with Atalanta, which we'll get into. So to see nine zero on, on a, you know, on a fixtures list and you, you're, you, it makes you wonder what, what happened in a premier league, uh, obviously in the premier league of all leagues as well. Um, Leicester has some talent. We've talked about them, uh, quite a bit. I know Roberto Grosso asked a question a couple episodes about whether or not uh, Schmeichel would leave maybe for another challenge. But I've always maintained that despite Leicester losing one or two players um, each summer, what it seems like is that they always seem to have a a nice core 
group of good talent, good quality players that can make some things happen in the Premier League. So um, the 9-0 is definitely surprising. Again, anytime you see that in modern football, it's you have to ask yourself, well, how many red cards did the other team have? Uh, what exactly is going on there? Number one, number two. And number three, did the manager on the losing end keep his job after that? Because that's, a, that's pretty embarrassing to say the least. But 9-0 is uh, something that I'm definitely going to go check that out for sure. Yeah, and it doesn't get any easier for Southampton. I'm just looking up here. The next two fixtures are against Manchester City. So one in the Cup and then one in the league. Then they play Everton at home. Then Arsenal away. And then they have like a relegation crunch clash against Watford at home if Hassan Tutel is still here. But I was watching the game, actually. I was with some friends at a pub. And we, we didn't plan on watching the game, but we, we were just in a pub that had the game on. And it was just one of those games that you couldn't not watch as soon as, you know, the, the third and fourth goal went in. It was one of those that you just felt it was going to be like six or seven or eight. And I mean, nine nil is ridiculous. It was, it could have been any score as well. I mean, if you watch the highlights, Southampton really didn't leave their whole half, but I, I do always think that you can make it really hard for a team to play against 10 men. And at four nil or even five nil towards half time, when the manager gets them in the dressing room, you must be saying to them, look, guys, this game's gone. Let's just try and go for, you know, nil-nil and preserve some pride in the second half. Because I always think, you know, <laughs> just the game's gone. You know, it might be a one in a billion chance that you have some sort of fairy tale comeback and it's 5-5 with 10 men. But just concentrate on not getting destroyed. And they that's what they just let Leicester do in the end. Yeah, that's uh, that would have been my approach. <laughs> obviously if, if I was a manager uh, of Southampton just to get say guys like this let's chalk it up this one's let's go out there next week let's make let's defend let's work on some things that we did on the training ground let's see if we can defend well keep this thing relatively um I mean it's already ugly to say the least when you look at the score the score sheet going into into halftime but let's let's try to avoid an absolute battering and uh yeah I guess uh, the players didn't really listen to that uh, they just went out there and they actually gave up more so uh, 9-0, it looks like a FIFA game, if you look at it uh, on face value. And um, yeah, I guess it's just one, it's a one-off. I don't anticipate another 9-0. But then again, we saw with City earlier uh, in the season, a couple weeks ago, shall I say, when they scored, I think, what, four or five goals in the first half of their oh, game yeah, in like eight, 20 eight minutes. Against Watford, I think. Yeah, against Watford. So it's it's possible. and it's But you'd, I guess you didn't expect it to be Leicester to put up nine goals. Maybe a City, obviously, or a Chelsea or a Liverpool. But oof, that's bad. <laughs> not great but weirdly it wasn't the craziest thing that happened in the Premier League <laughs> this week and we'll go from you know kind of least crazy to most crazy I guess or biggest talking points there was the Liverpool Spurs game uh, I don't know if you caught any of that Matt 2-1 to Liverpool in the end it was really it felt a lot like um, the Liverpool Man United game that we covered uh, a couple episodes ago it's you know, it's it was it was one of those Spurs went up in forty five seconds. It was one of the strangest goals I've seen, and then Liverpool just kind of ground out the game. Trent Alexander Arnold, I think he must have crossed the ball about seventy times into Tottenham's area, and it was just an awful Serge Aurier um, penalty giveaway in the end that, that gave Liverpool the game. And I think Roy Keane after the game on Sky Sports called uh, <laughs> he called Serge Aurier and Danny Rose dumb and dumber. He just said, he said they were awful. And uh, I don't know if you caught any of that game. I did. I, I did catch a little bit of that game. Uh, it's funny, too, because I was, uh, you know, I'm a 
I'm obsessed with Twitter. If you guys aren't aware of that already, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm watching the game on my TV and I'm following like my Twitter feed and someone, you know, shortly after the game, I didn't even notice it until, you know, it was posted, but um, someone posted a video and they're like, Harry Kane scored a goal before they even got finished with like the lineup graphics, you know, like if they have like the actual <laughs> graphics on the television where you're watching, it, it's like they show the players and then Kane's like curling the ball in, scoring a goal. And that's to your point um, seconds into the game. And yeah, but that's Liverpool. You know, Liverpool to be able to turn it around, get the uh, get the two one victory. And as you mentioned, Trent Alexander Arnold is some player, and you know, it's kind of makes me sad because uh, Milan had a ton of fullback issues this past weekend, and they continue to do so at least at right back. So to see like you know good quality fullbacks who can cross, who can make things happen, and have such an impact on the game, um, I'm jealous of Liverpool to say the least. <laughs> he uh, he is some player. I mean. I think the guys in that Sky Sports studio were just talking about how good he is. Maybe some things that he can work on defensively, which I'm sure will come considering he's only 21. But he is, I think people keep describing him as De Bruyne at right back. But the way he he crosses the ball is just, it's ridiculous. It's actually ridiculous. And he, he can really strike a ball as well. But we won't talk about Liverpool, Tottenham too much because I'm sure we're going to be covering the likes of Liverpool and Trent Alexander-Arnold throughout the season, considering they're going to definitely be right up until the end regarding the title race. Your boy from the United States, Christian Pulisic, made his mark finally in the, the Premier League here, Matt. Why don't you take it away on this one? Yeah, obviously. So we talked about Pulisic um, quite a bit, I think, in your absence a couple of weeks ago. It was me and Martino um, where we're talking about Pulisic because we got a lot of questions. There's a lot of... Um, uh, talk around Pulisic and whether or not he was being utilized the right way under Frank Lampard and everything like that. And I pretty much said, look, the quality will eventually shine through once those opportunities come. Um, if after working for them on the training ground, of course, eventually Pulisic, I think, can show what he's capable of. And sure enough, we saw it this weekend against Burnley. I was watching, uh, you know, the, the Serie A games, of course, with my buddies Marco and Mike Cantaris um, from IFTV in Brooklyn. Shout out to those guys. But we had the game on with Pulisic because I think there was only three Serie A games. So we had two multiple TVs going. And we're looking at Pulisic and the goals he scored. Like, this is the player that we've seen for the men's national team. This is the player that we've seen for Borussia Dortmund all these years. Um, obviously, with some things to work with but or to work and improve on. But three goals, uh, a sensational performance. He had the dribbling. He was creating. He was uh, had a penchant for goal, a penchant to create, make things happen up forward. Um, and it was a great performance. I think this is something that you can uh, definitely take as a major positive going forward. And maybe it's that moment where he turns the corner and Lampard's saying, this is what I knew I can get from this guy, but I'm glad I was able to finally see it come out on the pitch and help it in, a, in, in, in getting a victory uh, over Burnley. So a uh, major shout out to Pulisic, uh, the U.S. men's national team and U.S. soccer in general needs something to celebrate um, and to see uh, their main guy right now thriving, or at least for the, for the time being thriving uh, in the Premier League. That's very important for the, for the, uh, the, the state of the national team going forward, but more so for the player. He had a, arrived at Chelsea last January on a major fee. So to finally see him start to put the pieces together and, and show what type of quality and, and ability he does have, um, it's definitely exciting and something to keep an eye on in the coming weeks. Uh, it's going to be fascinating, though, to see how Lampard manages this because off a hat trick, you think, okay, naturally he's going to run him out there for the next game. But obviously Lampard has his favoritism towards um, – Chelsea youth and uh, there's Mason Mounds. There's a couple other players that are in the equation there um, at, for those wider positions at Chelsea. So it's going to be you know, interesting to see how he monitors it. But at least we know 
that Pulisic has that capability to play and, and perform in the champ- in, uh, excuse me in the Premier League. I think he was really really impressive. Actually, he um, he didn't actually get on the ball that much, but when he did, he always looked dangerous. And I think it's maybe an eye opener for some Chelsea fans and some kind of onlookers. They were talking about, oh, you know, Callan Hudson Odoi should start him. Why did he? Why did we pay sixty million euros for him? Well. That's why, like this guy has played nearly 200 career games compared to, you know, as good as Callum Hudson-Odoi and Mason Mount and Ruben Loss of Cheek and um, I'm trying to think who else Tammy Abraham are, have played less kind of top five league games than Christian Pulisic probably. So experience does matter. And when you get that many minutes under your belt, at, you know, the age of 21, he's gonna do something at some point and for me it was quite strange how um frank lampard was quite coy about him in the previous interviews wasn't he He was quite defensive about using him not using him and i found that quite strange i thought maybe there was something going on in the background but clearly that's not the case pulisic was really good you know after the game with the interviews as you can kind of imagine as a you know english being his native language but it just kind of seems like the whole package. Chelsea have got a guy who's going to be a real big commercial pool, who's going to do a lot on the pitch for them. And I think for him, there's been a lot of pressure to perform on the pitch because of that kind of commercial quote unquote pool that he has. So I think it's been it's been an interesting journey for him so far at Chelsea. And it's been interesting how Frank Lampard's handled him, but it's clearly worked. And I think that's all that matters. 100%. And I, I feel that, you know, you can ask uh, Alex Goldberg, who we had on as a guest way back when. And then he's always been uh, very, uh, and he's, he's always been very vocal about which players he likes and doesn't like, specifically in the wider areas. And, you know, when you start looking at guys like Pedro and <laughs> Willian, who obviously Willian scored this past weekend, uh, you, you want to see that, that next talent come in there. And I think obviously you're starting to see with Chelsea, they have a lot of young talent coming through, which is awesome and amazing for them. But when you have a guy like Pulisic who can play in that wide area because Pedro is kind of on his last legs, I think he still can be an effective player to a certain extent. But when you start looking at the ages of certain players in the squad, you want to find that next player who can kind of fill right in for them seamlessly without having that search on the market for his for their replacement. And I think that's what you started to see, at least this weekend, in a small sample size with Christian Pulisic scoring a hat-trick in a 4-2 win over Burnley. So um, def- definitely on the come-up for sure. I think to your point when you mentioned that there maybe there was something going on behind closed doors with Frank Lampard. He's very coy, very reserved um, about the entire uh, discussion with Pulisic I think he'll start to get more minutes I think you, you really can't when you have a player you spent that much money on who uh, has so much attention on him for that media uh, that uh, US media obviously uh, element he's got to get more minutes and he's got to continue to build from this you can't bench a guy like this now off a hat trick so uh, great performance I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more from him yeah definitely look forward to seeing more of Christian Pulisic but all that stuff happened in the Premier League, but it was overshadowed by what I can only describe as an Arsenal fan as one of the most ridiculous things I've seen on a football pitch. So to set the scene, if you haven't seen this, this is kind of like what's been stealing the headlines over here in the UK. Granite Xhaka was subbed off at 2-2 against Crystal Palace, Arsenal at home at the Emirates. And he was subbed off, yeah, about 60 minutes by Unai Emery and he trudged off very angrily. And uh, as he trudged off, the Arsenal fans decided to start booing him and jeering him. He kind of 
took his captain's armband off and, and threw it towards Aubameyang in, in quite a lot of distaste, so to speak. And after he he was booed, he then started kind of revving and amping up the crowd, which at first I thought was kind of like a come on, let's let's show this some support for the team. But in actual fact, he was kind of like, yeah, go on, give me give me the worst you've got. And then as the boos got louder, he then cupped his cupped his ear in kind of like you know nearly Luca Tony fashion. <laughs> and as he went off the pitch, he he basically in, you know kind of kind of said fuck off to the to the fans, and then didn't really shake Unai Emery's hand when he went off the pitch. It it was bizarre, Matt. I don't know like how much you caught of this, but it was quite frankly ridiculous. I caught this part of it, um, and I caught the backlash from Arsenal Football TV, uh, uh, which is uh, Arsenal Fan TV. Excuse me, I don't want to get anyone coming into the my mentions and getting after me for that. But yeah, I saw the the fallout for it. I saw the actual incident occur, and I think it's it's I could see two sides of it, and the two sides I have to see, or at least dissect here, is that one, I think there's a lot of people that travel, they make the trips, they buy the merch, they buy the jerseys. They invest their life into a club, and when they see shocking performances, they it's it's. I think it's more of them being upset rather than like, oh, this guy specifically, we're going to just let him hear it. Uh, at least that's how I feel. I think I, you know, I'm very critical of players on Milan, and I'm sure you're the same way with certain Arsenal players as well. In addition to Shaka, but I think I've never been a fan of going to a game, and if a player has a bad performance, I, I may not. You know, a standing ovation, but I'll, I'll give a light clap. And then, you know, the next player comes on and you see what happens and see if he can change the dynamic of the game, of the game altogether. But I think it's, 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 this is what happens when a team loses, right? This is what happens when things are going bad. There's it's, it's, it's everything cascades down, right? Because he comes off, everyone's going to boom because they're frustrated in the stands. And then all of a sudden he's frustrated because he's hearing it from them. And now he's going to, he's going to, I don't think he handled it the right way to say the least Shaka. I think you, but you edging, uh, egging on your fan base to pretty much say, Oh yeah, let me hear it. Keep going, keep going. That's not going to go over. Well, you're not going to win anybody over with that. The only way you're going to win people over is by playing better and having that professionalism. And I think that's the biggest thing that I look at with this situation is I understand it. It's, it's probably difficult for a player to get booed off by so many in your own, in, in that stadium. But you have to come off, give the armband to Aubameyang, shake your manager's coach, and then you dress it behind closed doors, and that's how you do it. Maybe you say something on social media. I know there's a lot of players that go and take that route to address the, maybe the criticism that they get from the fans. I understand that. But you can't show that on the field. You can't because now it's now you're disrespecting the, the badge. You're disrespecting the fans. You're dis- disrespecting your manager. And you're disrespecting the sport, in my opinion. Because I think whether or not you agree with the, the, the retreatment you're getting, you have a job. You're getting paid to play football. And I know some people are going to come at me and say, well, Matt, you know, it's the, you know, you got to play better. You know, that these people come and put on, I get that. I do. I, I understand that part, but I just was never a firm believer in the whole, Oh, let's curse this guy off. Let's, and then for him to kind of respond the way he did, I think both are in the wrong. In my opinion, I think, if you don't want, if you want to give him a, a, a light applause instead of a, a roaring ovation, fine. And then he gets off and away you go. But I think both there's, there's certain elements of, of both sides of this that it's, it just doesn't come, doesn't sit right with me. And I think it's certainly not the last we'll hear of it. Obviously 
the, uh, the, the media over there near you is going to be taking with this and running with this in pretty much every headline they possibly can in the build up to next week. Um, but yeah, this was, this, this is, was, was strange to see. And I think it's only going to continue to get worse because obviously it's, um, you know, if the results are not coming as well, then obviously everything just starts to kind of pile on. It becomes more difficult by the weekend. Yeah, it's, um, Oh, sorry. I thought I was muted. My bad. Okay, I'll do that again. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's not amazing. I think it's it's one of those situations where I think at at the time, as I was watching, I reacted with like almost disbelief. I was like, "What is actually going on?" And like, you know, one of those things where you're like, it was kind of like when when Kepa refused to come off the pitch in the uh, the final mm-hmm. with Sarri. It was kind of like, is this actually happening? And for me as an Arsenal fan, I'm looking at it and thinking, wow, this is awful from the people in the stadium. You're booing your captain, whether you agree he should be your captain or not, off the pitch at 60 minutes. And then you've got a guy who's 18 in Bakayo Saka, who we've kind of profiled and highlighted before, uh, Matt. How do you think he feels coming onto a pitch where this is how the leader of the dressing room gets treated. That's the one thing I think of as well, you know, and I think you saw, I don't know if you saw those pictures of Lucas, Lucas Torreira crying um, as Xhaka's coming off the pitch, Matt, um, because of how he's been treated. But it's just, it, it doesn't do any good for the, the dressing room. And look, you know, in two weeks, Unai Emery might get the sack. He might get canned. And a lot of Arsenal fans will say, look, like this is the pressure that we instilled on the kind of management team at Arsenal. But I still think that, Arsenal was seen as such a kind of classy and good-willed club that it just feels like the wrong way to go about things. I, I yeah, I, and I think that's that's the it's the that's the biggest thing for me is that I think you know you have to you can't especially as a captain I think it's obviously the captain element that you made a good point with how that's going to affect some of the other guys in in, in the changing room. I think that's not going to help Arsenal turn it around. But I think that's just, it's just what happens. Unfortunately, I, I, we see with so many other clubs is that when it rains, it pours, right? It's never just a team struggling. Okay, they'll, they'll change it. It's okay, they're struggling. Okay, oh, there's a bad performance. And then it's just eventually there's so much pent up anger, frustration, um, and disappointment from the fans that they're going to let someone hear it. And because you're wearing the armband, whether you deserve to wear it or not, you're the probably going to be one of the main scapegoats uh, they've already pretty everyone's already battered the manager before they've already i mean you and i Embry gets it every weekend pretty much and he's been he's going to get it because any fact that matters any manager that comes into coach arsenal football club who doesn't do the job that they the fans expect they're going to hear it it's just the expectations of coaching at a big club that's been struggling to get to where they want to be um, in that conversation amongst the top in the league again for me I think I've never been I've never been the type of fan. I think maybe it's a different situation. It's a different. Everyone's different how they react. I I, I was watching the uh, uh, Arsenal fan TV video, and you pretty much had two two sides of it. Just exactly how we're discussing here, where people are. The one guy was pretty much saying that, well, you know, he's got to play better. We expect more from our guys. This, this, and this. And then the other guy, who was pretty much getting ganged up on, in my opinion. And kind of getting laughed at because I think he was trying to talk sense sensibly about the entire situation. And he's like. Look, I understand Shaka didn't play a good game, but what does booing a player off the pitch do for the rest of the guys? What does that do for the changing? Yeah. Does that motivate the guy coming on? Does that motivate the young players who are looking around and like, wow, this is how they treat players here? Do I want to come here? 
that's what that's what you also have to look at too is in the moment it's the easiest thing to do because you're frustrated it's it's coming out you want to feel some sort of emotion and you got to let something out but in the long run it's not going to help because now it's something that's going to come up in the media every weekend it's going to be all over the headlines and papers in, in london and it's going to be the talk of football until the next game until the next thing next event occurs that's a negative one so i i, I look i think it's it's not surprising to see this sort of uh, turmoil, chaos that's going on at Arsenal. I think, I mean, you, you could speak on it more as a fan yourself, but it just happens when things lose. When, people, when clubs are doing bad, they're not performing to expectations, players are not meeting their expectations. It's happening at Milan. You could see it maybe at Manchester United. The difference is, is that you're not having that one uh, isolated event where if a guy like Pogba comes off and did that to the fans, now all of a sudden he's going to hear it. Yeah. But there's certain things that need to be addressed and um, discussed behind closed doors. If Shaka is disappointed with um, you know, with Una Emery for taking him off and disappointed with the fans, you can't show that emotion. I don't agree with Shaka with the way he kind of you know uh, encouraged it, but you could see the frustration building up amongst everybody at the club, and it just doesn't look good from optics, um, you know, on the outside right now. I don't think he was right, and I don't think the fans were right, and I think it's it's come to a a boiling point now where I think the club and I think there was a, a column that came out in The Athletic this morning by David Ornstein no less highlighting how the board is still behind Emery and I just I think it, it's probably best to now part ways and interestingly actually Matt I wanted to pick your brains on this in that article David Ornstein highlighted the shortlist that was put together for the, the Arsenal managers, including Arteta, Henri, um, a few others. But interestingly, uh, Allegri was there. And I was wondering whether you thought or you'd heard, or like, I know um, there was chat about him potentially going to United at some point, but could, could is his next destination going to be the Premier League? It's certainly possible. Um, I could see him following the route of uh, Conte, um you know, obviously Mari Tsutsari. I just think right now, whether it's Arsenal, whether it's Manchester United, because those two clubs have been linked with uh, uh, Allegri in the past. And now that he's pretty much uh, not, I mean, he's a, he's a manager that's in demand, but I think at the same time is, I, I anticipate him taking a year sabbatical. I don't see him jumping into the fire, excuse me, uh, midway through the season, especially the way with the way Arsenal are going, <laughs> and especially with the way that Manchester United are going. It's just not conducive to uh, getting off to the right start, conducive to uh, getting proper results, and conducive to ultimately meeting the expectations, which are very heavy, which are very high for these two clubs. Uh, I, I think he's a, he's a possibility in the summer. Uh, I'm not going to rule that out. But there hasn't been anything right now uh, from what I've seen, what I've been you know, hearing uh, about Allegri jumping in um, to this uh, English endeavor. It's something that's definitely, I, I feel he wants to undertake. Um, but at the same time, do you really expect any sort of top flight manager to want to come in um, midway to the season without a market, without a real true assessment of the squad? Um, and ultimately without some time for things to quiet down, that to die down where you can say, okay, like, I can step into a, 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 an environment where I can kind of get to work without, okay, well, who's playing this week? Who's Allegri going to play this week? Oh, he's playing Torreira here. He's doing this. He's doing that. How is he going to address Shaka? He don't want that. No one manager wants that. But especially a manager who's going to take his, 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 
his dive into the Premier League, the toughest league in football, and you'll have to have to. That's going to be the first thing that he has to really address. So, I, if your question to me is, Matt, do you think he could come in midway through the season? I don't see it happening. I think there's a possibility that for both these clubs, they they can open the door for an Allegri appointment in the summer. But right now, I think if Ali and Unai Emery are, are, are let go. I don't think it's going to be any sort of big name manager that's going to get paid a ton. And it's just tough to, tough to convince them of that. But there's so many, so much scrutiny and, and turmoil at the, going on at the moment. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I wouldn't want to do that job, even if the salary was was crazy. It'd be a really tough test. But I, I think let's let's move on to the Premier League because I think we we said at the beginning of the episode that this was going to be probably the biggest talking point, or the Premier League in general was going to be the biggest talking point. But um, I think in League A we saw Mbappe return. Uh, two goals for him. Angel Di Maria still in, in really good form. This is all without uh, Neymar. And Mario Cardi, six goals in five games, Matt. But also Mbappe this season, nine games, eight goals, four assists, 42 minutes per goal and assist. It's it's getting a bit ridiculous, isn't it? And also, I'd, I'd just love to hear your thoughts on Mario Cardi and, and how he settled in. Mario Cardi looks fantastic. He looks like he's uh, every bit the striker we knew he was at Inter before last season. He's very clinical. He makes the most of his chances. Um, he is is a, is a player who, when given those opportunities, he will make you pay. And you're starting to see week in, week out, really just in not only in Liga Um, but also in the Champions League. He's getting that opportunity. And, you know, they're starting to become that that uh, that great relationship, that great chemistry with him in the attack. And, you know, obviously you've mentioned all the numbers, but he looks like he's enjoying his football. Now, I don't think, uh, you know, th- th- it means that he is, he's a guaranteed stay at PSG because they have an option. But if he's producing like this, the option makes so much sense for them, it, right? I mean, I'm assuming that if, you know, let's say Cavani is uh, doesn't sign an extension, he leaves, he goes somewhere else on a free transfer, whatever that is, you have Mari Cardi for, what, 70, 80 million, in his prime, not even in his prime years, who's effective and scoring goals at will, it just makes so much sense. And to see him uh, doing this on a week, a weekly basis is hardly surprising. But I think it just goes to show you that, um, you know, a change of environment, a change of opportunity, challenge, this, that, what have you, um, gets a little bit more out of the player. And I just want to touch on uh, Mbappe as well because obviously he's uh, one of the game's golden boys. Uh, he's a fantastic player. He's so so exciting to watch. Um, I'm sure it's extra special to be a PSG fan because he's, you get to call him one of your own. Um, but yeah, PSG are you know they're they're doing well. They're they're scoring goals. They have their their attack clicking. Uh, Marco Verratti had a great game too uh, for PSG mm-hmm. as well. Um, he's starting to really come into his own uh, for both the national team and PSG over the past couple of years, which um, is very exciting. I think there was a part in time where Verratti, where uh, Italian fans were very um, on edge about what type of player he is and what his ceiling can be. But I think at 26, you're starting to really see him become one of the top top midfielders in football and some of the passes he able to make I think that one pass to uh to Verratti uh, not to Verratti excuse me to Accardi over the top um was a perfect example of what he's capable of he's tough to get off the ball he's he's very good in possession um but he's also starting to become a leader in that midfield um and which is something very important for uh for him going forward so overall PSG um doing well Mario Cardi, Mbappe, Verratti among many others thriving and 
let's see where PSG end at the end of the season, right? right? Because we can all talk about uh, on and on and on what their domestic uh, you know, uh, situation looks like and how they're doing well there. But the PSG from the beginning, since they started spending all this money some seven, eight years ago, it's been about the Champions League. And we'll have to see if they can translate this over to there. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what uh, they look like with Neymar back. But a guy that we mentioned uh, last week and the week before, I think Rudy Garcia, who was announced Leon manager. They've got their first win here, Matt, 2-0. Memphis Depay at the heart of it. But interestingly, he played kind of like a 4-2, essentially, with uh, Awar and Jeffrey Adelaide out on the wings and then Depay kind of just off the striker with Mr. Dembele. Is that something you saw often from him at his time in Serie A? Because it seemed strange to me to, to play kind of talented eights or number tens out, out wide. Well, I think it's, it's, it's one of those things where um, you, you have to look at the, the manager coming into the situation and at what point of the season are they coming in, right? So, uh, so not, it's not always going to be very cut and dry, right? You're going to go with the, the low-hanging fruit or the, the easiest um, tactical setup that you can implement immediately to get positive results, right? So I think it's really tough to kind of say, well, this is what he did in, in this in Serie A with Roma and whatever the case may be, or our previous jobs. But you know, we've seen it many times. That any sort of skilled players that can play centrally or play out wide, and vice versa, they can also interchange. And I think you, you know, we to an extent, I don't think many people um, expect maybe certain things from Rudy Garcia early on. But I think you're starting to pick up what maybe he can bring as the manager uh, at this point in time right and if the pie we all know what the, what the pie is capable of he's came up as a winger at psv obviously he played some centrally uh for manchester united he can do a couple different things for you and ultimately i think as a manager you want to be able to put your stars in the best position to succeed thrive and score goals right so i i, I don't necessarily like to dumb things down or not dumb things down it's probably the wrong way to put it but to kind of boil everything down to like well what's his system look like because it's kind of you know strange to see i just think he was Right now, when you're coming into a situation like this, and we touched upon in the previous episodes, you want to try to simplify things. And I think it could be difficult for some managers, but for others like Rudy Garcia, who has coached in, um, in Liga 1, I think he knows the league well enough. He knows the players well enough that he has over his limited time there so far to say, look, what's going to get me results right now? What's going to get this thing back on track? And then eventually I can maybe open the playbook a little bit, expand and go towards some different, different tactical elements to help me take this thing further. So I, I think for me, four four two, it's a pretty standard formation for a team like that. I think Depay is a player who can do some things on the ball. He can dribble, he can score, he can drift that wide. There's a lot of interchanging that can go on. And I think Leon at this point in time, they're just trying to get results and kind of make that creep uh, and climb back up the table. Yeah, I think it's going to be a um, an interesting time for Leon. I think Depay you mentioned is actually out of contract. I think at the end of um, end of the year, which is obviously not not good for them, or the year, or he'll have a, a year left rather. Um, so let's see what happens there. Is it going to be another mass exodus for Leon? How is Rudy Garcia going to deal with these these egos and players like? Um, you know, players like uh, Awar and, and Dembele, who are always 
not rooting for moves, but flirting with uh, potential moves. So it's going to be good to keep an eye on that one. But we'll move on to uh, the league closest to your heart, Matt, Serie A. And we'll start with Atalanta 7, Udinese 1. Did you watch any of this? I did. This was... um... Devastating. Devastating, yeah. This was uh, it's it's not you no, know, it is not really surprising to me though from Atalanta because I think we all know what type of attacking impetus they have as a team under Gasparini, and but I think it's more impressive the fact that you can lose a player like Duvan Zapata mm-hmm. and then throw in a Luis Maria who's tearing it up. Whether he's coming off the bench in certain games in relief of Zapata or starting. He's producing, and he's proven to be one of the, the best uh, and shrewdest uh, transfers from uh, any club this past summer. But I think it's it's a, it's a perfect example that Atalanta, they're, they're for real, right? If you look at it, Juventus, Inter, and Napoli all dropped points or slash played to draws this weekend. And what does Atalanta do against their opponent, Udinese? They batter them. They make it 7-1. They're like, we're not going to let this opportunity to gain points slip away. And they're only a couple points behind Juventus for first place in the table, which is, I know it's very early and obviously things can change. And it's perhaps for many unlikely that Atalanta will win the league, but <laughs> we've, we, we've watched enough football to know that, you know, you can't rule anything out. Right. I mean, case in point, Leicester city with the Premier League title. So Atalanta, they're always they're just a really fun team to watch. And I think there was a stat that was uh, put up by a uh, guy, Marcotti. I don't have it exactly in front of me, but it pretty much compared Manchester City's scoring uh, record to date in the league compared to Atalanta's. And I think Atalanta is like the only team that, or, or, or Manchester City is the only team that stands in the way of Atalanta being the, the most potent yeah. offensive I side. Think in got, terms of I goals, think they've got four more, I think. Something four, like yeah, something like that. So it's it's really impressive to see how they attack. But look, I think you can you can be you can learn to appreciate Atalanta and you can understand and separate the two between them and you know, uh, a city or Juventus, right? Because at the same time, we saw how Manchester City p- played them in the, in the Champions League and how there is still, that, obviously, that big difference and that big gap in, in terms of the ability, in terms of that, that, that playing level. But I think when you look at Atalanta and you look at how much they've spent over the years and how, uh, how great they're able to usher through talent left, right, and forward and center and, and come with these players out of nowhere, um, they actually had a, a player who I think was 17 years old um, come on and he scored. I think his name is Adam Traore. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah, something yeah. like that. I, I I didn't get the immediate. I apologize for the pronunciation mishap there, but he came on. They had Musa Barrow, who was a hot player last year. He scored a goal. Luis Mario had a hat trick again. So they get production from several different players, even when they got a guy like Duvan Zapata out. So born in born in 2002. Traore. 2002. I think he's yeah. the first player in, born in 2002 to score a goal in a top five league. So, um, yeah, Atalanta are rolling. They look very, very strong. And look, it's just going to be very difficult for any team outside the top four to crack the top four because you look at U of A Inter, they look like they're show-ins. Um, you know, you have to say Napoli are, are one of the four best teams in Italy as well, despite, you know, them not maybe being as sharp as they would like. And then you have Atalanta, who are if they're playing like this and scoring like this, they're going to be very difficult to beat. And you know maybe they're not as sharp defensively. We saw their issues in the Champions League against City, but City do that to mostly everything. So Atalanta, this the top these four clubs right now, it's going to be very difficult to crack that top four. And I just think it's what Atalanta have been able to do over the past really three four years in building this project. Despite losing players, uh, you know, Cassier, Conti, Mancini, um, 
Gagliardini. They, they lose guys every year, but it's, it's always someone that's ready to come in and like, hey, I'll, I'll do the job and they score 15, 16 goals or they play great in the midfield, um, like a Martin Darun, for instance, or, you know, whatever. And I think it's, it's very, very exciting to watch it as a Serie often. Yeah, I think Josip Ilicic was very, very impressive. I've heard David Amoyal call him, you know, one of the best players in Serie A on his day. He was really, really impressive. But, you know, the link-up between him and Maria was fantastic. It's just scary to think when Zapata comes back, what kind of what kind of force they'll be. And I think that, you know, Champions League looks kind of a difficult one for them, maybe because of the, the lack of squad depth, I suppose, or, or quality in depth. But certainly in Serie A, they seem to be a real, real force to be reckoned with. And I can't see them not making top four as you said you know Juventus Inter look kind of shoo-ins and if you look at the chasing pack Atalanta probably looks strongest you know apart from those two guys at the moment anyway I know Napoli haven't really clicked into gear there's obviously problems at Milan um there's problems with Roma so yeah I think they they are one taking advantage of that pack not being as strong as it used to be but two just playing some amazing football but another team that are part of of that chasing pack uh, Lazio won a a big game away at Fiorentina 2-1 I don't know if you watched any of this one as well Matt but it was actually kind of a really boring game um, that had a a couple controversial moments um, uh, yeah weird things happen during the game a couple of VAR decisions etc but uh, Frank Ribery and Chiesa combined to equalise uh, for Fiorentina after uh, Correa had opened the scoring for Lazio but then a last gasp uh, 89th minute header I think from uh, who else but Chiro Mobile um, won Lazio the game and, and let them come away with the, the three points uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Um, this was, this was an interesting one. I think to your point, it wasn't exactly this, uh, thriller, but, um, it had its little, uh, moments of, uh, controversy. Um, and obviously what, what, what would football be without controversy, right? I feel like I saw it in Serie A too, with the intern Parma game, um, with the bar there, but this is, this is interesting too, because with Lazio, this is a, a very big win for them because obviously they saw that Roma, their city rival got a victory over Milan, but also is that they're trying to kind of keep pace in that race for top four, which could be open. It may not be open, but I think they're trying to kind of put position themselves to say, Hey, don't forget about us with all the attention that Atalanta, Inter, Juve, and Athlete are getting. We're still a contender. We're still in the thick of things for this, but um, I want to touch on the, the kind of the highlight of it or low light, if you will, which was uh, Frank Ribery. He just pretty much shoved the referee at the oh, end of the yeah, game. Yeah. It, didn't look good. Um, obviously, we don't know exactly what was said or what words were exchanged. But for all the great attention and and, and, and praise that Ribery has gotten since making that move to Fiorentina on a free transfer, um, goals and being just kind of a, a focal point to the Fiorentina project this season under new owner Rocco Comiso, uh, it, that's what you don't want to see. <laughs> And it's it's not going to look good for Ribery. I'm sure he's going to get a talking to by Montella, by Comiso. He probably is going to get, I would sort of assume he would get a slap with a fine and maybe a match ban. I think by any time you make con- t- contact like that with an official, um, there's a good chance you're going to be, uh, they're going to come down hard on you. So I just think this was one of those cases where we obviously know what type of quality in the squad that Lazio does have. I think Hugh Correa is a player that gets uh, sometimes overlooked by many. 
and because if you have you have Immobile as you mentioned scoring another goal uh, a match winner because you have a Luis Alberto pulling the strings as that creative cog um, Milinkovic Savic is a, is a high, highly touted uh, young player who's wanted across all of Europe. And then you have a good goalkeeper in Stakosha. And obviously, Acherbi is your captain. So they have pieces there to the puzzle that are, are, are make you believe that they could be a contender for top four. But Correa is a player that I think deserves more attention, praise, and recognition, really, because he's um, sometimes gets lost in the shuffle. But his talent is obvious. Every time you see him on the ball, he's, he's skilled. He can dribble. He can score. He can says he does so many different things for you um, to win a game. And I think at the end of the season, I think you'll start to see some interest ramp up for him because, um, you know, he's, he's very special. And I think this was a big victory for Lazio on the weekend, for sure. Obviously, as I mentioned, uh, Milan were defeated, but Roma got the victory. So they're able to kind of make that climb up and start to kind of try and position themselves in the, in the race for European spots. But also Lazio really wanted to um, show that they have, uh, a couple different ways of beating you, and they, they could win games ugly, which um, this wasn't exactly an impressive, impressive victory from optics if you watched it. But at the same time, on the score, three points are three points, and they uh, they keep moving. Yeah, I think it's uh, yeah, Lazio seem really good. Um, they they look stronger with a Correa and Immobile Imo- with Correa and Immobile up front. Um, Luis Alberto, obviously very uh, a talented guy uh, at the 10th spot. And then they've got a, a few other good pieces, as you mentioned there. Milinkovic-Savic, uh, Leva actually looks kind of good in, in that number six spot, which is kind of weird. But um, I suppose from your standpoint, Matt, as a Milan fan, the biggest game for you was uh, away at Roma. And it's a game that I actually didn't watch. So I'll kind of let you take away take it away with this one. But it was a 2-1 defeat to for Milan to Roma. Um, how did you feel about this one and, and what kind of happened? Man, this was uh, this was bad. This was a bad defeat for Milan. Um, obviously, I don't think anyone were was anticipating Milan were going to go and pretty much uh, beat Roma at the Stadio Olimpico. Um, Roma, start with them. Um, this is a big, big, important victory for them. And I think it's not only because of... Um, obviously the, what the rest of the pack did in Serie A on the weekend, but the fact that they've had so many injuries, and I don't know if you've been keeping up with their injury their injury list, but they've been destroyed with injuries the entire season so far. Uh, Pellegrini, um, you know, the list goes on and on. I can't, I can't even name it, all the players. But somehow, some way, Fonsec is managing to get victories. He's managing to circumvent everything and navigate the season. And when you get players back, and then all of a sudden, you really can probably see what type of uh, of, of Roma Fonseca is able to build. But I don't want to focus too much on Roma on this one because I think Roma could have even made this 5-1, 6-1. They've missed so many open headers. Smalling, who's been very good for them on loan from Manchester United. Uh, he's had another good game. He's had a nice start to, uh, to life in Italy. Um, I, I want to focus on Milan because... After last week when Milan looked pretty good for most of the game against Lecce, um, in, in Milan fashion, of course, in traditional Milan fashion, they found a way to uh, disappoint you. <laughs> Lecce comes up, they equalize the game with a stunner late in the game, of course. And then all of a sudden, everyone was like, yeah, but, you know, they played well. They played, they, you know, I could see uh, some progression here under Pioli. So what do they do the next game against an actual legitimate opponent in Roma on the road? They crumble. They looked so bad. This was a, a, a really ugly performance for Milan. 
I just think you can look at several different things here and you can really spend a lot of time dissecting them and, and, and really, you know, hammer down, but uh, individual errors, it's, 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 it's one of those things too, where, you know, it's not even just a, 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 a tactical aspect because I think lineup he puts out there, it's probably one of the best ones you can put out there, right? He, he put out, um, he put out Conti, he put out Musacchio Romagnoli, he put out Teo Hernandez who had a goal, um, in the midfield, he had Kessia, he had Biglia, he had Paqueta, he had Suso, Leao, he had Hakan. So it wasn't so much a lineup issue. It's just a lot of these players, they just, they don't, they're not Milan quality. They're not, they're not quality players. And I don't know how else really to explain it. And you look at some of the, the goals or the two goals that, that Roma scored. And you look at them and you're just like basic fundamental things that you're taught at such a young age, marking your man on corners and set pieces. They, they can't even do that, Petri. They're not even, they're missing that part of it. And I think it's very alarming because it's one thing to get beat by a better side or, oh, that's a great build-up, that's a great goal. You, you have to get, you tip your hat, tip your cap to them. But it's another to lose games, to completely not even look like you showed up, number one. Number two, just look like you're not even completely there and, and, and invested in, in the match. I, I don't know what else to really say at this point. Their, their, their team is defensively, they look very weak. This is the worst I've seen Milan look defensively in, in a while. And for all the criticism that Catuso got as a manager, at least Milan were able to defend games. So if they got a lead, maybe they wouldn't win and batter you with goals. But if they got a 1-0 lead or 2-1 lead and it lead, they were able more times than not were able to hold on to it. They were able to at least have some sort of identity. Maybe it wasn't the identity that Milan fans wanted or hoped for, under Catuso, an attacking team. They weren't an attacking team, but they were able to get some favorable results. The players were able to play with some fight, some heart, some energy. And when you see Milan on a week-to-week basis now, it looks like they're just going through the motions. It looks like it's a, it's a, it's a preseason friendly, some of these matches, the way they're playing. Not marking guys, not picking guys up, not tracking some runs. It's bad. This was, this was a really disappointing match to watch. I can take the result. I can take a 2-1 defeat to a team like Roma, who... They have Jekyll. They have some players that can beat you. I could take the defeat. It's not so much the result itself. It's the way, the fact that it could have been four, five, six, one, and Milan didn't even look like they wanted to even play. I think it's that identity thing. It's, it's, you know, I don't want to bring it back to Arsenal, but it's a similar thing with Emery, right? If you've got a manager that doesn't create an identity that suits with the club's values and with the fans' values, then you're always starting on the wrong foot. And I think from what I've seen with Milan, with Giampaolo and now Pioli, is that it's they're creating structures that, one, don't really suit what the club has come from, and two, that don't really focus on their best players. Like, if you look at who Milan's players or best players are, you look at uh, Piontek and you look at uh, Suso and these guys who are um, who have been good in Serie A for the last two years and these are the, the guys that aren't really performing well and are they bad players? No. So then you have to point to the manager, the system and, and what's going on there. I do think you're right in terms of how Katusa was treated. It's one of those things that you, you don't know what you've got until it's gone and as soon as he's left they do seem to be a shambles at the back so to speak of course and that's that's the biggest thing too is that i I found with this team it's not only 
at, at certain points last season under Gattuso and really since he was manager, I think the one thing that you know you can you at least kind of knew what type of team you were going to get on a weekly basis, more or less, right? I think once you have a manager in there for a long enough time, you kind of have an expectation of what type of football you're going to see, what type of style, what type of uh, energy and work rate you're going to see from the team. And I think that was what was a huge, hugely missed um, on these, these this, this beginning of part of the season for Milan is that for all the maybe, uh, you know, issues that Catuso had or as a manager, limitations he had, I think the one thing that you can at least rely on or depend on was that at one when the opening whistle blows, you're going to get 11 guys fighting for a result. You're going to get 11 guys putting their best foot forward. And I'm not saying that no one individual here and there isn't trying. I'm not saying that. But from optics, from, from through my through the lens of which I'm watching the game, it seems as though it's that like they're they're passing to they're just missing basic easy passes, giving the ball away needlessly in their own half. That's leading to goals, leading to goal chances. And I think at some point you have to you have to ask yourself: Is it the players? Is it the manager? Is it the management? Is it just the general environment for which Milan currently gives off right now? Because to your point, I mean, you look at the squad and you're thinking, this t- is this team that bad? Like, there's teams like Lecce who are scoring more goals and or in Genoa scoring more goals, even Genoa on the weekend. They got a new manager in Tiago Mota. What do they do? They win 3-1 at home to Brescia. I know it's Brescia. No disrespect to anybody here. But they have a new manager and you immediately get an impact. You get, an, uh, you get um, a reaction from them. And I think we got that reaction to an extent last week uh, from Lecce. Uh, and again, against Lecce, excuse me, but it, now it's always one foot, one one step forward, two steps backward. You come on, you you can't go to a game against Roma like this and play this bad. I'm sorry, but it's there's certain players in the squad that, for me as a fan, I'm just you know taking I'm taking uh, you know I'm, I'm trying to remain uh, unbiased here. But as a fan of Milan, that I just I just I can't see and I don't want to see play for this club anymore. I'm not going to go into detail with which ones because I can go all day. There's a handful, <laughs> but it's, it's Petra. It's frustrating to watch. It's, it's one thing if you, you know, like I said, you're playing a team like you and Napoli and it's like, well, we just got to play it. They're just better than us. That, that's chalk it up to that. But it's another one. It's like, okay, we're going to not really show up to play. We're going to gift them chances on basic mistakes. This is, these are, if you watch the game, and I, I, if you're a Milan fan, you're probably saying, "Don't just don't do that because you're gonna you know, want to hit your uh, hit your head against a wall." But if you're watching this game and you're looking at it, like you can pick these things out. And this is a video that you show to younger youth players as what not to do on set pieces, which is the <laughs> most alarming thing. Because I'm gonna I'm gonna reiterate, for all the criticism that Gattuso got, they can at least they were at least able to defend. They weren't giving away this many mistakes and we obviously know how that can come back to bite you and you know what when the game throughout the course of a 90 minutes Roma they had open headers open headers from crosses you have Chris Smalling running running from the edge of the box in a straight line on un, un, unchecked and to for they could have had five six goals in this game and you're looking at like 2-1 okay they lost to Roma away 2-1 okay well you know maybe they played well they did not play well in this game, guys. I can assure you they did not play well in any aspect. I can't really highlight anyone that played. Wow, this guy did this. He looks good under Piolo. I can't even look at it. Romagnoli and Musacchio. Uh, I don't really know. And again, this is maybe the expectations I have. I'm not really surprised when I see certain results like this. But now I have the floor with this rant. 
to say, you know what, when everyone been, Pioli was brought in, my expectations were so low. They were, they were, they were bottom of the barrel low because any, to come into this Milan job in the summer, it's tough. And he saw with Giampaolo, everyone prayed, oh, we want attacking-minded football. We want aesthetically pleasing football. Uh, he had the backing from Saki. He had the backing from all these people that this guy was going to be the guy to get Milan back on, back on track. Seven games, he's gone. And then they bring in Pioli. My expectations are very low at the moment. I don't anticipate Pioli being the savior. I think maybe there's a point in time where during the season where Milan will, will hit some pretty good form because they do that to you. They, they, they tease you a little bit. They, they, get, they, make, they draw you in saying, hey, guys, we're six points back from fourth. We can do this. And all of a sudden, they drop points, and they show you their true colors, and they show you that they're not for real. They're not a top four team. They don't deserve to be in that conversation. And that's, that's really what I, what I kind of more or less feel on a weekly basis. And uh, the, the result against Roma on the weekend was just another uh, example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, not, not, good, not good listening for uh, Milan fans. But, Matt, hopefully you'll be a bit more happy discussing uh, our next player profile. Yeah, so for this new player profile, we are going to talk about um, a player who is um, getting some attention um, in Syria and Parma on loan from Atalanta. His name is Dejan Kulusevski. He's a 19-year-old Swedish international who's kind of come out of nowhere this year for Parma. I think, you know, Parma is a team, obviously, if you guys haven't been tracking their journey back to Syria, they joined, or they, they got that, they made that, uh, that, that climb complete last year, or for at least that was their first season back in Syria since I think 2014, 2015, um, after some issues with bankruptcy. But finally, now we're starting to see them back in Syria, and it just feels right to see uh, a club like Parma with so much history, a club not too far removed from having guys like Buffon, uh, Taram, Cannavaro, um, Crespo, you name it. They were they they were a very good team for quite a while. So to see them back in Syria, it's only natural that you're going to start to see some players um, worth keeping an eye on. And Kulisevsky is one of them. He's not owned by uh, Parma again, of course, but there is a possibility that maybe they can work something out. But I just want to get into it, what type of player he is um, and what I've seen so far from him. And what really stands out for me is uh, a, a tall physical player who can play back to goal he's predominantly played out wide uh for diversa but he's this past weekend against inter he's played centrally you know he's good as, as a hold-up player he's good back to goal as i just mentioned but he's a good has a good eye for 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 finding his man and finding that 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 pass which i think is very impressive for someone so young and uh, in a league that could be difficult to adapt to and to ultimately find that space find that time find that pass um because time isn't uh, you know uh, always uh, a luxury um, and a time top flight, but two goals, five assists through nine games. He's one of the top assist men in the league so far uh, for a Parma side who are on the better side of the, the league table. They're above Milan, obviously. <laughs> guys didn't listen to my rant. I'm um, just going to point that out there, take a little jab at my uh, at my club. But Kulisewski, he's a, he's a fascinating player. And I think, you know, before we even started recording me and Petra, he was like, is he Polish? And I kind of wish he was because that would be another good player for us to have coming through the system. But yeah, I, I think if you're... Uh, interested in learning about some of the some of the other jewels of Serie A are. I think Kulisewski is a player you're going to want to keep an eye on the entire season at Parma. I think there's, uh, with bigger stages, bigger moments, and um, obviously the, his numbers will, will ultimately drive some of interest for him in January and, and, and in summer. But I think when you look at his numbers, it's really tough to kind of just boil it down to that because I think you want to look at some of the 
technical aspects and elements of his game at this age uh, and this point of his career and kind of try to chart and project what he can be uh, moving forward as, you know, he gets into his 20s and mid-20s and obviously towards his prime. I've been very impressed. And I think it's, it's, it may be easy to stand out for certain, at certain clubs that maybe don't have a ton of star power or a ton, a ton of talent. But for a 19-year-old to come into a squad to get starting minutes from the jump, he's got to be doing something right. And he is doing something right. Obviously, he's doing plenty right to help um, uh, Parma's, uh, Parma's cause this year. And, you know, it was very, very exciting to watch. Again, I was watching with uh, the Italian football TV guys on the weekend to see that attacking trident they played. He, again, he usually plays out wide. Um, but this this weekend, they had Jan Caramo, who's on loan from Inter, and they had Gervinho uh, supporting him. He was kind of playing more of like a, like a false nine, I would say, someone who's uh, a hold-up man. He was doing a little bit of everything to help to help the cause for Parma. But it was exciting to watch how how complementary that attack was. You had the pace, you had the dribbling ability, you had the countering ability um, from Caramo and Gervinho, which haunted Inter the entire game. But then you had Kulisevsky as that guy that was able to play back to goal, you know, muscle some players off, invite those wingers forward, invite those midfielders forward to help support in the attack. And, you know, it wasn't his best game per se, Kulisevsky, but if you wanted to kind of get a glimpse of what he's capable of doing beyond numbers, I think it was a really good um, a little you know, uh, cameo for him to show that he is capable of more. And I'm very excited to see what this kid can do over a course of an entire season, a 38-game season. I think his numbers are very solid so far. He's going to be a player that maybe doesn't finish the top assist man in the league. But look, if he scores seven goals and he's 12 assists, I mean, that's a very good season from a teenager. It would be. And I mean, you know, Atalanta, they're... Their youth academy just doesn't stop, does it, Matt? I mean, you mentioned Troy earlier. Um, it's it's madness that they keep delivering on on talent like this, and it's um, it's crazy to see that they could lose players whenever they they want, really, and replace them internally, which is awesome. Or kind of players that uh, the likes of uh, Muriel. But um, really, really great to hear your thoughts there on Kulusevski, and uh, interested to see how far he goes with Palmer, and then maybe next season with uh, Atalanta. Uh, Matt, I think that's all we've got time for today. Uh, where can people find out about more uh, more about you? You guys can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Um, I know I say this every episode, but there's some really exciting things um, I'm working on behind the scenes that you guys will find out about soon enough regarding the podcast, regarding some other different endeavors, um, you know, aside from state of play. But anything that I'm working on or going to be involved with, it's going to be on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Yeah, and you can uh, follow me at Pet Berisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A. And you can follow us at State of Play Pod, uh, P-O-D. And you can email us, stateofplaypod at gmail.com if you've got any other questions or want to collaborate or whatever. Uh, and please do enter our giveaway. All you have to do, yeah, is yes, um, yeah, take a screenshot of you, uh, sending us a review, follow us, retweet that tweet, and then you're in. You're in with a chance to win. I Probably, you know... 100 plus pounds worth of uh, really awesome merch i mean it doesn't really matter about the money the, and it's varied it too awesome. you don't have to be you know it's it's not you know we, we kind of mix it up for you guys too so go check it out we have some maradona stuff in there we have uh some milan we have uh eric cantona cushion pillow so you're going to get a nice little package there and if you're a neutral football fan and you don't have an allegiance to any club um this is an extra special one and definitely worth uh worth entering for definitely Definitely. Uh, Thank you guys very much for listening and have a great day doing whatever you're doing.